you all can open up your copy of the Bible, uh, if you have one, to the book of Deuteronomy. That's where we're going to be today, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Um, we have been going through the book of Deuteronomy for quite some time. I think we started in August or September, even of last year, and we've more or less been going a chapter at a time, and we're finding ourselves kind of in the home stretch now. Uh, we're planning to wrap things up with Deuteronomy uh, in July at some point, probably early July. Um, but as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 28, uh, a, a line of a song that you're probably familiar with, I know I'm familiar with, uh, came to my mind uh, the last several days. It's from the song Amazing Grace. Some of you could probably just roll the lyrics through your heads uh, right now of, of various verses and stanzas of Amazing Grace. But there's one line that uh, has always impacted me uh, more than others, and it may be one that's different from what has impacted you. Uh, but it's this pair of lines that John Newton wrote in the lyrics of that song uh, where he said this, two things. He said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Uh, I love that. There is so much jam-packed. Songs have a unique ability to do that, to say a lot in a short amount of words. Uh, and that lyric, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear,' says a lot. Uh, that there is a fear of God that human beings, sinful human beings like me and you ought to have within us. And it doesn't arise naturally within us. It's something that God's grace has to work in us to have the, the fear of God uh, in our hearts. That is something God has to impart. But then for those fears of God to be relieved is not something we have to figure out ourselves, that we have to figure out a way to, to get ourselves off the hook, to have those fears dissolved. The same God who creates, who, who stirs up a right fear of him in our hearts is the same God by his grace who helps us to dissolve those fears, to have those fears be relieved. Both of those are a gift of God. The, the feeling of conviction and of fear and then the resolution of it, the, the relief that can come. And so we need to have a fear of God. We need to have relief from that fear of God, right? Uh, God doesn't just intend for us to stay in this terror and, and fear of him. God is the one who provides both of those, the fear and the relief. And this text we're going to look at today uh, definitely does that first line uh, that teaches our heart to fear. I think since the very time that these words were uttered by Moses or recorded uh, by him thousands of years ago and on to today, these words as they've been heard, as they've been read, have been used by God time and time again uh, to create, I think, a right sense of the fear of God. Uh, that there should be a trepidation before God. This text is going to definitely show us that. Um, but it's also a text that uh, by the end of it, I promise when I read it in a moment, you're going to be feeling, if you're paying attention to it, you're going to be feeling angst. You're going to be feeling this fear of God. And, you, and so this text is one that begs for something beyond it, uh, that begs for some other place to go for a resolution, a relief from that fear. And so we're going to start in Deuteronomy 28, and it'll take us a bit to get through it. But we're not going to end in Deuteronomy 28 today. We're going to end uh, with a text from the book of Hebrews that, that will shine brightness after darkness of Deuteronomy 28. I, I think we appreciate the sun more when it's coming up after a long night of darkness, right, uh, than when it's just been up for hours. And so we're going to walk through some of the darkness of Deuteronomy 28, and then I want to uh, show some light from further revelation of God as the story of God goes on. 
So a little context before I read this very long text. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy, if you've been with us uh, at all through this book, you've probably heard me many times, uh, repetition's helpful, uh, heard me many times say that Deuteronomy is written like an ancient treaty. Uh, there would often be these treaties in the ancient world between a landowner and the rulers who would rule beneath them. Uh, this agreement of this is how you all need to operate in my land. This is what you need to do. And the first, like, 26, 27 chapters of Deuteronomy have mostly been that. As God's people are about to go into the promised land at long last, God, as that landowner, is telling the people who are about to go into it, this is how you live in my land. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. This is my heart that you need to live out. But as we come to this chapter, we're squarely into this section of these ancient treaties, and this is no exception, where now that all the rules have been laid out, all the stipulations have been laid out, there's very clear blessings for obedience that are laid out and then curses for disobedience, where, where the, the landowner says, if you all do this, this is the way I'll bless you. If you do not do this, this is how I will curse you. These are consequences that are going to come. And so I'm going to read this uh, here in just a second. Uh, this is that section. We're going to read blessings, and curses. Uh, but a couple notes before I read this. This text is very long. If, if you're just scanning it, even in your Bible, it's 68 verses long, okay? Uh, so I'm going to read all of it, and I hope that's a reminder and encouragement to us that all of God's Word is inspired, uh, that it's all good, and that the best part of any sermon you ever hear, even if it's on one verse of the Bible, the best part of that sermon is when you hear the preacher read the text. That is, so the best thing of this sermon is going to be long today, it's 68 verses worth. Um, but I also wanted to, to caution you or prepare you this text is very, very dark. Uh, you'll know what I mean as I start to read. The first 14 verses are kind of pleasant. It says, blessings if they would obey. This is how God will reward them. Starting in verse 15, and I'll, I'll be careful about how I speak about these things, but you'll see there's just these cascades of judgment that, that God says will come upon his people if they disobey, if they disregard this commandment. And uh, I want you to know, though, as we walk through this text, there will be brightness at the end of the sermon. Okay, just spoiler alert. Uh, there's a lot of darkness. There will be brightness at the end. And so press on with me through the heaviness and the darkness, that establishment of the fear of God. And then by the end, I want us to find how we find relief from that fear of God. Okay? All right. Uh, Follow along with me, Deuteronomy 28, settle in, 68 verses. Kids, you listen to, if you're in here and you're not usually, you listen to storybooks at home. I don't have pictures to show you. The, the book that God gave us doesn't have pictures. It just has words. Uh, but you can still try to listen. Uh, there's a lot to glean from this. But follow along with me, Deuteronomy 28, uh, 1 through 68. <clears throat> and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. 
The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and in all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. That was the blessings. Now the darkness, the curse. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he's consumed you off the land that you're entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation and fiery heat and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven dust shall come down on you until you're destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind and you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth the wife but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs and grievous boils of which you cannot be healed from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. 
and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything, and he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. And if you think this is bad, it gets worse. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left. So they will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears. Because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting, and he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also and every affliction that's not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. 
And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite, and there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, If only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, If only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promised you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. This is the word of the Lord. I told you it was dark. I told you brightness will come. We will get there. Um, in preaching this text, because of time, and then just even more so because of the nature of it, I'm not going to try to tease out tons of little details, like at a granular level with you, about what words are used and what phrases are used, uh, because... There is a feel to this text that I think we're supposed to walk away with, uh, that we could actually lose if we start to just get down at a micro level and think, what does this word mean or what is it? There is a feel that you probably felt as I was reading this, that this text, I think, is intended to have upon us, that's intended to have upon you, where it is intended uh, to, to stir up a healthy, reverent fear of God and fear of judgment. I think that's primarily what this text is supposed to do. And I don't want to do it a disservice by, by picking it apart at a granular level and losing that macro level feel of this text. And I want to summarize the, what I, I think this text says and then what it points us to beyond it this way. And then I'll explain what I mean and, and show you some examples in here. Is this. Is that the fears that flow from the ifs of the law and this will be on the screen, that the fears that flow from the ifs of the law can only be calmed by the sense of the gospel. The fears that flow from the ifs of the law can only be calmed by the sense, S-I-N-C-E, of the gospel. By the end, you will know exactly what I mean by that. But I want to start by, in this text itself, Deuteronomy 28, talking about the ifs what I would call the ifs of the law, uh, of God's law. Uh, for how long this text is, that just took me who knows how many minutes to read, for how long this text is, the main substance of those blessings and curses are actually really short. Uh, I, didn't know, I don't know if you picked up on that. There's some almost like direct parallel statements, right? In verses 3 through 6, uh, there's these statements about blessed you'll be in the city, in the field, fruit of your womb, fruit of your ground, your animals, uh, your basket will be blessed, your kneading bowl will be blessed when you come in and when you go out. Blessing, 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 right? And then there's a parallel in verses 16 through 19 where it's almost just directly inverted where he says those same things where there could be blessing, there's going to be curse, right? The, the cursed shall be you be in the city, in the field, your basket, your kneading bowl. So there's these very short statements, these concise statements of, guys, blessing will come in this way to you or curse will come to you. Uh, 
And I, I want you to note, though, and the reason I point out the word if in this text is I want you to note the conditional nature of this covenant that God's establishing with his people. It is a conditional covenant. Uh, there, there are conditions that God is making with his people. And you see, even in these, these early verses of this text, uh, that six times, right in the first couple paragraphs, six times the word if appears, at least in my English translation, the word if appears six times. Uh, verse 1, if you faithfully obey the voice of your Lord. Verse 2, if you obey the voice of the Lord. Verse 9, if you keep the commandments of the Lord. Verse 13, if you obey the commandments of the Lord. Verse 14, if you do not turn aside. Verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord. There's all these if statements. If you do this, then this will happen. If you fail to do this, this will happen. Those are conditions, right? There's, there are terms set up that's still unknown. Like if I operate this way, this is going to come to me. If I operate this way, this is going to come to me. That is a conditional covenant where, where you're making an agreement. You're entering into a contract of sorts uh, with one another. That is what God is laying out before his people here, right? This conditional ifs of the law. But Moses, even though those short little summaries of blessing and curse were just a few verses long, Moses spoke for quite a while then, didn't he? Uh, what we call 68 verses. Uh, he, he continues to speak. There's a disproportionate amount of time, airtime given to the curses, isn't there? There's like 14 verses about blessing and then do the math. I can't talk and do math at the same time. Dozens of verses about the curse then that follow, right? And Moses... I don't know how I would have tried to communicate this. He was led by the Spirit to do this uh, in inspired ways that I will never be. But he d goes at this, like expansion of the curse, in ways that uh, are, are different than I would. I would probably try to be more like didactic, like instructive, like systematic theology. Like, well, if we do this, we actually deserve the judgment. He is trying to paint a picture for them, Right? Like, he's not just making these statements. He is, like, telling a story in advance because he doesn't want this to just be an idea in their head that, oh, yeah, like, judgment is out there, curse will come to us. He wants them to feel it. Like, he wants them to know what this is going to be like if they disobey. And so he goes to great lengths to try to make them feel the judgment of God and what will come to them if they disobey, right? Just scanning, like, high level of this text, you heard Moses tell them, if they disobey, if they break the law of God, he talks about curses, confusion, frustration, pestilence, wasting disease, fiery heat. He talks about heavens of bronze that give no rain and ground of iron which grows no crops, right? He talks about enemies that come to destroy them. He talks about their bodies, once they are destroyed, being like food for birds and nobody being there to scatter the birds off of them, right? Like he, he talks about boils. He talks about going mad. He talks about blindness. He talks about having wives and children and animals stolen from them and being able to do nothing about it, right? He talks very clearly about them someday going into exile, these, these nations or nation coming and taking them over and sending them away into foreign lands. And he starts using this word later in the chapter of destruction. You see that word appear again and again, that this is bending towards destruction. Like that is where this is going. 
right? And he, he starts to talk about, in these horrific ways, the siege of these cities that you can read fulfillments of in Second Kings. Like these things actually happen. Read about it in Lamentations. These things actually happen. This isn't just like Moses spitballing and trying to scare them with unrealistic things. These things happen. And he's trying to forecast for them what the siege of these cities is going to be like. Not to get into detail. These things are horrific, though. He talks about cannibalism. I'll use that word that kids may not know. But like cannibalism, right? That just is talking about like it's common. Like, like you, you're not even willing to share that with your family. Like it is vile, like awful, like should make your stomach turn. And near the end, he starts talking about things like it's a reversal of the exodus, right? Like uh, how God had laid plagues upon the Egyptians to rescue them. He's saying now plagues are going to come upon you. And you who have grew into a big nation are going to start to be destroyed and dwindle down into almost nothingness. Destruction is coming. One commentator talked about how this sort of picks up steam as Moses is going. It's going to continue some even to the chapters that follow. And he, he talked about how there's this just like, he called it an awful inevitability as you just keep hearing these. Like Moses knew this is what is going to happen. Like this is what's going to take place. Uh, there is, but it's, it, it's positioned to them as an if, right? It's a conditional. Like, I'm laying this opportunity to obey before you and blessing will come. But if you disobey, the horrors of what I've just described are going to come upon you as a nation, right? And I just want to say, we may recoil at texts like this and think, oh, we shouldn't read these things. We shouldn't try to, to teach them. I think that is a lie from Satan. Like, because it does no one any good to sugarcoat the judgment that awaits them, right? Like Mo Moses could have just maybe let them say blissfully ignorant or just shallowly mention, hey guys, curses are going to come. But like he wants them to feel, like he wants them to know in a way that penetrates their soul what awaits them for their disobedience against God. And it's not just Moses. Jesus did that too. Like Jesus taught about judgment. Jesus tried to prepare people to know what awaits us apart from the grace of God. And so we can't shrink back from texts like this. It does no one good. But I would suggest to you, this, this text, as these people would have heard it, if they had any spiritual sensibilities at all, it would have made them shudder, right? And I think that's what God, the effect he would want a text like this to initially have even upon us is that, that we have a sense of our responsibility before God to follow his law. And we hear an example here of what happens when we disobey, what happens when we disregard the law of God. Because if any human being, whether it's an Israelite who heard these words come out of Moses' mouth or you who just heard it read right now, if any human being tries to contemplate their own law-keeping before God, uh, and try to just stack up, like, how well am I doing? What, what's sort of awaiting me in this if category? If I do well enough, then this awaits for me. If we start evaluating our law-keeping, if you start evaluating your law-keeping before God, you should not be encouraged by that. Like, that should strike fear and terror in your heart. These people were commanded several times in this text that they needed to obey all the commands of God, Right? And he says, if you don't obey all the commands, these curses will come upon you. And there's not a human being in this room or on this planet who in good conscience can say, I follow the law of God perfectly, that I have, that I do, that I will. None of us can do that. 
And when we read a text like this, it should make us first shudder to think, if I have to stand before God in this if arrangement, this conditional arrangement, then what is awaiting me is things worse than this. Like if I'm trying to come before God with my own righteousness, what awaits me is worse than what Moses just said here. Because it's not finite. And it's not temporary, it's eternal, and it's infinite. That is what awaits us, is the judgment of God for our disobedience. And that's what I'm talking about when, when we are to have this fear of God that rightfully should come into our hearts. As you notice in the, the end paragraph of this text, Moses starts to talk about the inner world of these people who are going to be under judgment. He starts to talk about how they are going to have a, this is in verse 64, a trembling heart and a languishing soul. Right, that's how he says what's going to be true on the, in the inner world of these people who've disobeyed God. And I think left to ourselves, that is where we should initially go as well. That we start to, as I know my guilt before God, as you know your guilt before God, that we wouldn't just write it off or say no big deal, like God doesn't care, but that we would take time to pause and think, man, I deserve judgment. Like I deserve God's anger. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve curse there should be a trembling heart and languishing soul even within us as we hear the law of God right but I would note there in verse 64 that God is the one who gave them that languishing soul and trembling heart right it says that God gave that to them and what was a judgment to them feeling this angst and this anxiety and this fear could actually be a gracious gift to us if we would receive it as such that we are we ought to see the knowledge of our bankruptcy, of our guilt, as a gift from God, that he teaches our heart to fear first, and then he teaches us how to relieve that fear. And so as we think about the ifs of the law, there, are, there should be, I think, fear that rises up within us. Like, this is my fate too, if not worse. So what do I do with that? How do, how do, how do I find relief from that fear? You don't find relief from that in Deuteronomy 28. I think Moses wanted them in the hearing of this as that echoed around in their mind and heart to make them think, I have to find some way out of this. Like there has to be some relief from this judgment of God that's not based on the ifs of the law. Because I will fail, I have failed, I do fail, I will fail again. There has to be some relief from this wrath and this anger of God that is not based on me. Like, that's not based on my law keeping. And that is where we can all praise God that God has not just given us the law, but that he has given us the gospel. That he has given us good news about what someone else has done for us. Um, because we cannot get ourselves out of the judgment of God. We cannot dissolve the fear of God that rises up in our hearts. I, the, the picture at the end of Deuteronomy 28 is probably, the, in my opinion, the bleakest note of this whole thing. Where he says, I'm going to send you in ships back to Egypt and he says, and you're going to try to offer yourself as a slave there. And he says, and there will be no buyer. Like after they've experienced all of this sorrow and tragedy and they're desperate to try to just find anybody who will see any usefulness, any value in them, he's saying, there will be no buyer. But praise God, like when he sees sinners like us, like who have made a mess of our life, like who have rebelled against him and have reaped some of the reward of that in our life. We've felt the brokenness. God does not look at us like that and think, 
I don't want them. I will never buy them. God has gone to great lengths to buy back people like this. Like to buy back people like me. To buy back people like you who have spurned God. Who have broken his law. Who deserve the curse. God has seen fit in his grace and mercy to buy us back. Right? And he did that by the sending of Jesus. Not by just calling us to stricter obedience. But he bought us back by the work of Jesus. Right? God has given us this good news that we, don't, we aren't reconciled to him. We, we don't have to dissolve this fear by our own works of the law, but by the works that have been done by someone else, the person of Jesus. Jesus actually lived the, the, those pleasant parts that we read at the beginning about how if you obey, you deserve blessing. Jesus actually did that, right? Like he's the one person as he entered into this world who actually fulfilled that, who actually deserved the blessing of God. He did that perfectly, deserved nothing but blessing. But at the cross, which we talk about every Sunday, and I hope we talk about every day of our life, at the cross, the one who deserved blessing from God the Father experienced curse. Like he took our sin, our breaking of these ifs, he took onto his own record, and the one who should be blessed became cursed for us so that we might become blessed, right? So that we might receive this blessing that we don't deserve. And he, he, he took our sin, he was judged for our sin, he was crushed, put to death, laid in a tomb as if he had been disobedient. But he had been obedient, hadn't he? Even to the point of death. And so God raised him up from the dead, and gave him this eternal blessing that blows even verses 1 to 14 out of the water. This eternal, infinite blessing he has now given to Jesus. And the good news for us is that Jesus is willing to share that blessing with us. Right? This blessing that he has earned, he is willing to share with us who are undeserving. And that is what I mean when I say that the, the fears that arise from the ifs of the law can only be... Uh, what did I say, can only be calmed by the sense of the gospel, right? That they can only be calmed by the sense of the gospel is that when we're trying to law keep to get God's favor, we're always going to view it as conditional. I either already have messed this up, I am messing up, I could mess it up in the future. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is there is something that has already objectively been done for you, that is finished. That's completed. That's not under question or under review by God. There is no if to it. Jesus has lived a perfect life. Jesus has died a sacrificial death. And since that has happened, we can be forgiven. Since that blessing has been earned, it can be rightfully shared now with us who don't deserve it. I wanted to share this text with you from Hebrews 10 before I begin to close with some application points. By the way, we're going to, the next book of the Bible, this is a little news for you, the next book of the Bible we're going to go through starting at the end of the summer is the book of Hebrews. Uh, so I wanted to give you a little preview of the good news of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23, and note the word since in, this, in these verses, okay? And it'll be on the screen. Hebrews 10, 19 to 23. The author of this said, Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That is glorious. Like the, the angst and the anxiety that we rightfully fear, uh, feel, the fear that we have in our hearts by just thinking of my law-keeping and whether I'm good enough can be totally resolved by the sense here, like that Jesus has already done the work. Jesus has already died in your place. He's already lived for you. And that's why this author can say, not that we need to be fearful and nervous, but that we can draw near to God with full assurance and with confidence. That is an audacious thing to say if you're thinking of law-keeping as the means to get that, right? But when you know the sense, like definitively Jesus has done this, then you can say these things. Like God blesses me not because I'm good and I have kept the law, but because Jesus died a death for me and Jesus lived a life for me. And that is what gives us confidence. That is what dissolves our fears. It's something that has already been done for us. A couple words of, of quick application on this we think about the sense of the gospel, the good news, is I would very much encourage you as an individual or as you seek to disciple others is to try hard to not ignore or downplay the fear of God that arises in people's hearts. Like there, we sometimes, when people start to feel conviction for the sin, we want to super quickly, like when there's any semblance of guilt, or convention, uh, conviction for sin, we want to almost tell them, like, no, you don't need to worry. Like, you don't, don't need to fear this. Like, sin, like, it's, we just kind of tritely say, oh, it's been dealt with. Like, it's okay. Like, Jesus died for you. And that is true, right? But sometimes I think we short-circuit the, the depth of conviction and contrition that's supposed to take place in a person's life. Not that we need to heap shame on them, but if we don't let people get to a point where they truly are fearful of their soul and think, I truly deserve depth of judgment. Like, I deserve eternal judgment. If we just think, oh, I did, I've done bad stuff. Like, God must be really disappointed with me. And we just try to quickly heal that. And people don't feel that the weight of the inability of themselves to keep the law. Then we may be doing what the prophets called healing their wounds lightly. Where we're acting like their guilt is small, like their judgment that they deserve is thin when it is actually infinitely thick. And it can be good, it can be a grace and mercy for the soul of a person to feel the weight, the, the burden of the curse that they ought to bear left to themselves. So don't ignore or downplay people's fears of God's judgment, but make sure you point them, make sure you point yourself to the right source of alleviating those fears. Right? We are tempted to look at all sorts of other things to alleviate our fears. We are tempted to look at our own goodness. Like when we start to, to feel a fear of God and his judgment, sometimes our first instinct is to, like, well, like, I, I, I'm not that bad. Like, I, I'm trying. Like, surely God's pleased with my efforts here. And even though we know that's twisted, we let kind of our, our fears try to be dissolved by the, the treatment of our righteousness and, and the evaluation of myself in law-keeping. That is a foolish thing to try to do, to dissolve the fears of God's judgment by the merits of your goodness and your law-keeping. That should not be where we go. But we also shouldn't try to calm the fears that we have this is even more common, I think. Like, I dealt with this for a long time. Sometimes we try to, to address those fears by looking at the strength or the quality of my faith. Like, how strong is my faith in Jesus? 
And if it's feeling strong, then I feel good. I can dissolve that fear. But if it feels weak, then I start to let this, this fear and dread of God fall upon me and over me, and I dread facing him. But the quality of your faith is not what should dissolve your fears. The object of your faith is what should dissolve your fears, right? Because the way that you are received into this new covenant isn't by having strong faith and like the strength of your grasp. It's because of the one you're grasping on to and the more accurately the one who's holding on to you. Uh, that we are called into this relationship with Jesus by faith. It's, it's like an anti-work, like a letting go of, of any attempts to try to please God and, and falling upon his work. So do not look to the quality or strength of your faith for assurance, but look to the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. These ifs of law-keeping, of the strength of my faith, those do not provide a rightful relief from the fear of the judgment of God. The only place you can look for that relief is the cross. That is where you look. When you feel the fear of God, make a beeline to the cross, like where you can see your sin judged once and for all. You can see the anger of God that is real poured out on Jesus so you can have confidence that it will not be poured out upon you. Look to the cross to dissolve your fear. I appreciate in the book Pilgrim's Progress that some of you have read. Kids, if you have not heard that read before, I'd encourage you to ask your parents to read that to you. It's good stuff. The main character in there, it's, it's like this allegory. He has this burden on his back of sin and guilt, and he's always trying to get it off. He's always trying to, to get rid of it, and he never can, even by trying to keep the law of God. And the only time it finally is taken off of his back, that this burden that he carries around, this dread that he has, because of his sin is when he finally comes into view of the cross and when he looks at the cross the, the burden falls off the, the fear goes away he, it's not that his life is easy now but he knows as he looks at the cross my sin has been dealt with and it, it can be gone once and for all so we can look to the cross for assurance for the dissolving of our fear the last place we can look is to the throne of heaven, to the right hand of God. This Thursday, we don't really keep an annual church calendar, but a couple days ago uh, in the annual church calendar was Ascension Day. Thursday would have been the day uh, after, long after Jesus' resurrection where he ascended to heaven. Uh, we can look to the right hand of God the Father right now. When we start to fear that God that, uh, that we have wronged, we can look to his right hand and we see the one who has absorbed that God's anger Right? Who, who has bore it for us, who's been raised with blessing, eternal, infinite. And we can know that he is glad to share that blessing with us. Right? He's not just borne our curse, but he's earned a blessing that he's glad to share. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing one last song. Then I'll leave you with that word of blessing that the kids so wonderfully already sang for us earlier. But uh, let's pray, and we'll sing. Father in heaven, uh, this text is heavy. It is dark. But we are grateful that it is just one part of your revelation to us. That it is the bad news that, that strikes fear in our heart, but that there is good news of Jesus. That has already been, his work has already been completed. And I, I pray when we feel tempted to despair, when we feel tempted to fear you rightfully because of our sin, I pray that we would look only, I pray that we would look often at the cross of Jesus and see that our curse was borne by your son there. And I pray that we will look often uh, to your right hand where he now sits victorious over sin and Satan and death. And I pray that any fear that is left in our hearts would dissolve, that you would teach our hearts to fear.
and that you would relieve those fears. And we pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.